Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 20 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by one of my favorite venues in all of Charleston to play Prohibition. It's over on King Street downtown, the best brunch in all of Charleston. I say it every week because I mean it. Be sure to head in there if uh, you're in town to check out my duo. We play there every Saturday and Sunday, although we will not be there this Saturday and Sunday. I will be in Nashville um, for, a, for a couple things. I'm going to be uh, interviewing Casey Campbell. I am going to be doing a podcast with Jared Walker and Jenny Lynn. And I am also going to be going to the Billy Strings show. So if you're in Nashville this weekend, shoot me a message. Maybe uh, maybe we'll be in the same place at the same time. I also want to thank Dominic Leslie, this week's guest, for uh, hooking me up with um, a spot at Smith & Lentz here to go and, and do a podcast. So much appreciated. I'm looking forward to that. Sounds like they have some great beer. Also, a few episodes ago, the Frank Sullivan episode, Soundslice sponsored it, and Soundslice sent me an email. They were notified by a couple of mandolins and beer listeners that the coupon code was not working. So they have rectified that, and they're also going to extend the offer through Don's courses through Christmas Day. And so if you go to soundslice.com forward slash mandolin beer and enter the coupon code mandolin beer, all one word, you can successfully get 20% off Don's courses. So thank you to Corey for... Um, shooting the message and thank you to the mandolins and beer listeners for going to check out sound slice uh, also thank you to sarah bennett from ivpr in nashville she is the one who kind of helped get this dominic leslie interview nailed down and she was also kind enough to send the newest single dandelion which is available at the end of this episode it's a great new song by hocktail so be sure to check it out and last but not least be sure to check out the spotify playlist this week uh, it's got a bunch of great new songs from this episode with dominic and next week, I've been releasing these on Wednesday. Next week is Christmas Day, and I know a lot of people are going to be busy with the holidays, all the holidays that are going on. So I'm going to try to do something a little bit special um, and have um, uh, a thing with multiple guests, maybe. I'm still working on it, um, and I'll save a new guest for the following week. Actually, I think the following week will be the um, Jared Walker and Jenny Lynn interview. So anyway, I hope you guys have a happy and safe holiday out there. Uh, play some mandolin, drink some beers if you drink beers, and cheers, everybody. Talk to you soon. All right, now I want to welcome to the podcast Dominic Leslie. Dominic, how are you today? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. Man, great to have you on. Thank you so much for doing it today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, as we were talking about just before we got on the podcast, actually a few weeks ago, I um, I played the debut single from Hawktail at the uh, at the end of the podcast. And um, oh, nice. yeah, what is the exact pronunciation of that song? <laughs> oh, it was probably Ambjorg. That is exactly is, what it was. Uh, yes, that is a, a tribute to one of our favorite Scandinavian fiddlers on the planet and Bjorg Lee and check out her music if you haven't yet. I have not, um, so I'll actually post a link to that and probably have it playing in the background right now as we're talking.
So that's a that's a great tune. And you guys, when is the release date for the Hawktail album? That will be coming out on January 10th, which happens to be the day after my 30th birthday. No so kidding. I can pull a, a selfish move and tell everybody that I just want them to listen to our record <laughs> as a birthday present to me. <laughs> that's great. Are you guys going to do some tour dates behind it as well? We are, yeah. We have a uh, Nashville CD release weekend. Oh, cool. On tap coming up. Um, we're going to be playing at the Little Harpeth Brewery here in town in conjunction with a slot on the Grand Ole Opry. Wow, no and, kidding, uh, man. I know. Congratulations. It's be really special for us to bring that music to that stage. Oh, wow. Recite. Yeah, that's amazing. Good for you, dude. That's great. And then you have a you have a lot going on though. You um you know you you, you want to talk about a couple of the projects we do that you have going here that'll be doing some stuff as well possibly next year. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, I guess 2020 is mostly going to be a hocktail year again. You know, mm-hmm. album release year, and uh, we're going to be doing quite a few weekends throughout the year. Um, but in addition to Hawktail, I also play with a group called Sam Ryder and the Human Hand. Um, we've been sort of based out of Brooklyn for the last several years, but Sam has recently relocated to his home state of California. Oh, wow. um, Which probably means a little bit less rehearsal for the band. (laughs) Um, But as far as gigs, we'll probably just uh, keep up more or less the same schedule and just uh, be getting a lot more plane tickets around, you know? (laughs) Right. Uh, So that's always a fun band, playing with those guys. It definitely stretches me musically in other ways that uh, other groups don't necessarily do you know those guys are you know playing super deep jazz stuff with uh, more complex harmonies than i've ever been used to playing uh as a bluegrass mandolin player you know sure sure although you were on you were also though on one of my favorite acoustic albums that's probably been out in the last decade that grant gordy album pterodactyl Oh, cool, man! Yeah, love that Grant album. Is, is one of my one of my dearest friends, and uh, I'm I'm very thankful to have been. Uh, I sort of studied un, under his wing um, growing up in Colorado. I got my driver's license and was driving down to Denver as as often as I could to hang with Grant and learn all of his tunes. And uh, you know, he was the first guy to ever show me like a half diminished chord, for example, on the mandolin, all, all that sort of stuff that you don't really uh, get into so much in the bluegrass and old time world. And so I'm, I'm always very thankful for that time with Grant and I miss him. And I hope that we can uh, make some more of that music again, one of these days. Yeah. That album is uh, phenomenal. It's, it's so good. I literally, I, um, I bought the charts off him. <laughs> that like I'd uh, oh, yeah I'd messaged him and I'm like holy cow these songs are amazing and um and your mandolin playing on that is fantastic dude you have some really really 
cool again for a guy who, who you know you're saying like this one really stretches you 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 sound pretty stretched out too on that grant gordy and very comfortable well thanks man yeah absolutely thank you those guys were definitely uh pushing me to my limits you know alex hargraves on fiddle one of my all-time favorites and uh current band member paul Coert from hawktail and yeah. the punch brothers and uh that was a, a really special time getting to make that album with Grant and those guys. Um, we had actually about two full weeks um, to write some material together and to rehearse all that stuff and get it together in the studio, which uh, looking back on it was such a luxury to have all that time. You know, it seems like most of the projects I'm on these days, you kind of just like throw it together in a couple days, get in the studio and like hope for the best. <laughs> right. It was pretty great to have all that time. Yeah, that's great. I was going to ask you if you guys had like, if that was rehearsed or if that was um, all by the seat of the pants, because if it was by the seat of the pants, I probably would have thought about just retiring tonight. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you just said, ah, we just cut it live in a day. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it wasn't like that. But some of it was sort of by the seat of the pants. Um, there's one little segment of a free improvisation on there that's sort of like an interlude between tracks and uh, we made it a point to do a little bit of that every day i think to start out the session to just play free for a while mm, cool and uh that little you know one or two minutes turned out to be okay made it on the record oh that's great there's another part that i really love on that album on the two little grapes you have this little break that kind of builds into the song Well, you know, I actually had been playing a lot of those tunes for several years because I was, uh, I guess, an original member of the Grant Gordy Quartet. And like I said, I was driving down to hang with Grant all the time. And then uh, he realized he wanted to make this record and then called up the big guns, Alex and Paul, <laughs> to get him in there. Yeah. Wow. That'd have been, that would have been amazing. Did you know those guys ahead of time when you, uh, when you started rehearsing with them? Yeah, we had all been friends for several years just through the, the Bluegrass Festival circuit, I guess. Um, Alex and I met, let's see, I guess it was uh, 2005. So I was a pen 15, I think he was 13 at the time. Um, and we met, let's see, it was at the Mandolin Symposium, the second year they were doing that. Oh, yeah. And uh, Alex was there, I think, probably picking a little mandolin but mostly uh, getting to be the the fiddler on campus you know <laughs> right. uh, and i i still remember hearing him for the first time and it just totally blew my mind as he does to this day and uh paul and i met at rocky grass actually um out in lyons colorado one of my all-time favorite places and festivals and uh gosh i was probably you know, I imagine it was probably a similar time, actually, um, maybe 2005 or so. And uh, he was out there kind of hanging with Edgar Meyer, I remember. And uh, Edgar, I think, introduced us. And then a couple, couple years later, he's playing in the Punch Brothers. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's amazing, man. And speaking of Rocky Grass, you were the, uh, weren't you the youngest person to ever win the Rocky Grass Mandolin Contest? 
You know, I think you might be right about that statistic. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. Uh, maybe I was at the time, but I, I can't tell you one way or another if, if there's been another young whippersnapper to come take home the gold since then. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I think it was actually that same year, or maybe one year before, uh, maybe 2004, when I when I did that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Do you remember what? Um, do you remember what tune? Uh, you won it with? Man, let's see. I definitely remember playing Brilliancy, the oh. Sam Bush classic. Final round there, and then gosh, I can't remember the other piece I played. Maybe something a little more fiddly. Um, but I also remember I played Chris Steely's Offspring, from oh, his yeah. groundbreaking second album, Stealing Second. Which is such a killer record. It's like pretty mind blowing that that was made by a 16 year old. And I, I just love his fire and just all around playing and writing on that record. And the fact that it's coming from a 16 year old is like, why I oughta. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come no on, kidding. man. That's not fair. Yeah. That's not fair at all. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, that's inspiration for life right there. Yeah. So. Absolutely. I, yeah. That's a, a his those early solo albums i mean all his output's great but man those early early couple albums there are just filled with some of the most incredible acoustic tunes man yeah such great playing by everybody and i love that he's got the all-star cast yeah playing on there with him too you know all the uh the drive or the the strength and numbers guys playing with him and uh it's just so cool you know i I'll never forget getting those albums for my birthday one year for my dad. Probably, you know, 13 or 14 or something. And I, I put on that first track mm -hmm. of uh, actually the first one leading off when he was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 or something ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, he comes just barging right out of the gate, just ripping up a storm on that first track. And I, it actually brought me to tears but not in like an emotional, like moving way. It was just like <laughs> this. It was like, I'm never going to be that good. <laughs> tears of frustration and anger at how good this young mandolin player was. But, yeah. uh, you know, to, to this day, I, I just try to channel it to the positive side, which is, like I said, inspiration for life. Because if you uh, let it go to the other side, the dark side, then you might end up... Uh, throwing your mandolin in the fire or something which is obviously no good for anyone absolutely you know if if only young you could see where you are now though <laughs> yeah yeah you know That's true 13 or 14 you would be real happy with the way your playing is turning out <laughs> that's true that's that's a good perspective to keep so and then you also play in a, a band with your wife Phoebe Hunt 
I do. Phoebe Hunt and the Gatherers. She's more or less taken a hiatus from touring um, in the last year or so and kind of uh, taken a page from the Greta Thunberg book and, you know, thinking about all that stuff and um, has actually channeled more of her energies into the online aspect of creativity and music videos. And we're still uh, working on a record here, even though we haven't been touring so much, but... uh, Keep your eyes peeled for that release in 2020 as well at some point. And then the last thing you were talking about, you were, uh, with, you were working currently on a duo mandolin project with Rick Robertson? That's right. Yes, Rick Robertson. Some of you may know him as Eric Robertson, uh, formerly of the Boston Boys and the Riggs or the Rondo Riggs. Um, but he's one of, one of my dearest friends and... Uh, and an absolutely incredible musician, one of the best you'll ever find. And uh, he lives down in New Orleans these days and gigs up a storm on just about every instrument you could think of. Um, And he's doing the rock and roll thing down there, but not a lot of people know he's one of the world's great mandolin players. And uh, we met actually at that first mandolin symposium in 2004 and uh, really just hit it off and uh, ended up becoming roommates together at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And uh, we really just kind of developed a special way of playing with one another that I, I don't really feel with a whole lot of other musicians, if anyone else. Oh, um, cool. It, it, it's sort of like when we get together and play, we, we speak the same language and uh, sort of after all those hours of playing, we sort of know what the other one's going to do. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, which, is, which is a pretty special energy. And so uh, we had been talking about making this project for years, you know, probably ever since those days living together in college. And uh, this last January, finally, we were like, all right, man, we just got to do this. And so I drove down to New Orleans and uh, we just set up a couple mics in his new little home studio there and uh, went for it. And uh, we've got about six or seven tracks and uh, sent them over to the master, Dave Cinco, to mix. And uh, so I'm not sure exactly uh, when it'll be coming out or what the future of the project is, Um, but we'll keep you posted. Awesome. Yeah, let me know, man. I'll definitely... um plug it i'll play the singles put links whatever i can do to help out man just to get the the mandolin word out there well thank you daniel yeah man absolutely that's awesome so when you go down to record do you have like a specific set of like mics you like to use when you record because your tone is always really really good on your projects well thank you i appreciate that yeah man um this one it was a little more diy and uh i i was lucky enough to get to borrow a mic from Paul Coart that I brought down. I believe it was a KSM 137. 
um, my knowledge is is very rudimentary of the whole <laughs> no microphone worries. world and <laughs> yeah. you know all that technology. I pretty much just uh, keep to the mandolin. But uh, he was like, "Yeah, that'll be a great one." And uh, Eric was playing on something else. It was more of a large diaphragm condenser situation. I forget what he was using, but uh, we kind of just threw him up and. Uh, and went for it, and I think it sounds all right, considering it was done in a home studio. Yeah, well, I bet. Well, I mean, again, it's, I mean, I'm not familiar with his playing, but your playing, I would imagine you could probably set up some 57s and put out some pretty high quality, <laughs> some pretty high quality music as well. Well, you know, it's like we were kind of just going for more of a vibe thing at mm-hmm. the end of the day, and we knew the tones would be close enough, but it's like there's a certain. Uh, production value of, of doing it in new orleans there at eric's house where you can you can hear trucks on there and <laughs> you know there's little noises and birds and whatnot but yeah. you know that's uh, that's all part of the vibe and the magic i think of Absolutely. doing it there yeah that's great that's great to hear that too because so many you know so many recordings are so sterile sometimes you know and it's just like oh, right so a little grit would be fantastic right about now <laughs> right Man, I actually I have another buddy, this guy Eddie Barbash, who's a phenomenal saxophone player, lives up in Brooklyn, and he plays in uh, the Sam Ryder and the Human Hands group with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has sort of fallen in love with bluegrass and fiddle music in the last, uh, I don't know, five or six years, and uh, can actually rip fiddle tunes on the sax like you would not believe, and really understands the the feel and the groove behind fiddle music that really makes it tick and he's kind of the only guy i've heard who can do that and uh um, the reason i bring this up is because he's about to actually release an album that was all recorded using iphone voice memos no from way. various gigs in the last i don't know three or four years and uh, i'll actually be featured on a couple of those tracks as well but it just goes to show you know you don't always have to spend 20 grand and go to a nice studio and it's obviously a totally different thing but uh, there's something that's really cool about the you know clinking of glasses and the chatter in the background like there's one moment where you can actually hear a guy ordering a cocktail <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's it's great you know and, and the music is uh is different than it would ever be in a studio because it's just on a gig you know musicians playing how they always play yeah it's also loosen up i would imagine too you know i think that once you can kind of get in that zone on a gig anyway you know you you tend to let the automation take over when you're in the studio though it seems like you're just thinking all the time like oh this is expensive this is expensive (laughs) and it's like this is gonna last forever everybody is gonna hear this and if i mess up they're all gonna know i'm stupid (laughs) (laughs) right exactly those kind of those kind of thoughts, you know, and yeah. uh, and I I love this these Eddie recordings because none of us even knew they were being recorded. Oh, that's um, great, man! So I think there's kind of a magic to it for that reason. Oh, I'm stoked to hear it. That'll be great. So, what got you into mandolin? Well, um, my dad is a bluegrass musician, not mm-hmm. professionally. He's actually an architect, but oh, he's nice. from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, so grew up around a lot of bluegrass and started playing uh, guitar in high school, probably mostly rock and roll in those days, but uh, picked up the banjo in his college days. And 
you know, was going out and hearing Norman and Nancy Blake, who are from around there. And uh, he actually uh, tells the story of getting to hang with Hartford a couple times down there, who was just coming through on tour and wanted a jam session, you know. And so they hosted a little party for Hartford. And I don't think he was playing a, a whole lot, at least uh, maybe not on that level in those days. But mm-hmm. um, got to, you know, sit back and watch Hartford and all the guys play and so he was kind of bit by the bug early on and then passed it along to me. And uh, growing up in Colorado, you know, I, I was lucky enough to get to go to a lot of great bluegrass festivals, uh, yeah. Telluride and Rocky Grass in particular, and uh, Pagosa and Four Corners. There's so many good ones out there. But I was kind of surrounded by the music from an early age, you know, listening to my parents' record collection and uh, my dad was a part of a sort of thrown-together bluegrass group from the Denver area called High Street. And, uh, you know, they all had day jobs and everything, but got together on the weekends just to hang out and pick. And uh, their claim to fame is that they actually took second place to the Dixie Chicks in the Telluride Band Competition one year, oh, no way, way back in the day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yep, yep. Oh, history so, could have been yeah, completely been different, around, huh? <laughs> I know it. I know it. Oh, so, man, yeah, that's cool. I've been lucky to have been surrounded by the music for most of my life. But as far as the mandolin in particular, I, I started on ukulele tune, like the bottom four strings of a guitar, mm. and then uh, you know switched to guitar when I was basically old enough to hold a full size. And started playing fiddle a little bit around then as well, and doing the whole Suzuki method with my sister there. Oh, cool. Um, and then actually, my dad around that time was wanting to branch out a little bit musically as well. And so my mom got him a mandolin for Christmas. And I think I was 11 at the time. And, you know, I, I knew all the left hand notes from playing the fiddle, and I had the picking technique from playing guitar. And so it was a really natural transition for me, and I just started picking on that thing all the time. It was a Kentucky mandolin. Oh, cool. Actually. Nice. And uh, that was right around the time where I first saw the great master, Chris Thiele, play live and in the flesh. It was actually at the Aspen Jazz Festival. Oh, wow. He was playing with Nickel Creek. And, uh, you know, I had heard him on record before, and of course that's mind-boggling, but then to actually see it in person <laughs> had such a profound impact on me at the time and and i remember still to this day thinking man that's what i want to do cool. i had never seen anything like it and and so uh not long after that I, I pretty much quit playing fiddle and guitar i still pick them up and uh, mess around for fun these days but uh, mandolin's definitely the only thing that I practice anymore. <laughs> nice. Right. For whatever reason, I just really gravitated towards it and always really loved the rhythmic aspect of it. I think mm-hmm. uh, probably mostly coming from the Sam Bush influence, you know. Yeah, uh, so great. I remember at, at an early age being really obsessed with the kickoff on the Bela Fleck Deviation album, which is actually an older one. starts out with like the most rock and roll 
Sam Bush rhythm chopping of all time. And I remember I would just rewind the kickoff like a million times, you know, at like eight years old or whatever. Yeah. So awesome. Oh, my gosh. Inspiration for life. There's actually a great video of you two out there on YouTube doing a mandolin workshop together that uh, that is just incredible to watch. Yeah, at the Romp Festival. Yeah, yes, yeah. And somebody videotaped that, and that's amazing, man. Your ear is so good. Like, there's one part on there that I, um, one lick that I totally stole and use all the time is he does this um, real cool, uh, kind of like a descending, sliding over the A and the E string that you do. And um, it's a Vassar lick. And he leans over to you, and then you, without even thinking, just like, copy it and take it to the next level <laughs> i mean right in the same uh, it's amazing it's so cool oh man well that was such a, a huge honor for me to get to do that with sam i was quaking in my booth that's for <laughs> sure to be sitting next to him you know and, and hearing that mandolin coming back at me was just incredible i'll never forget it yeah that's so nice and that so did, did you start in like bands then did you kind of find some bands and Boulder, some friends that you started playing with? You know, growing up, I guess I was just kind of going around to the local festivals and uh, I guess kind of connecting with the local picking scene there, which was pretty happening at the time and, and still is actually um, there between, you know, Lions and Denver and Boulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Slipstream band really had a, a big influence on me back in the day, Rich Zimmerman, Brad Murphy. Um, and they're still to this day, some of my all time favorite guys to pick with. And so whenever I got a chance, I was driving down to Boulder to hang with those guys, you know, Yeah. and pick and all that. And, uh, and so, yeah, I was just kind of hanging out and picking. And then I, I, uh, joined up with Grant Gordy and the Grant Gordy Quartet. And I guess that was, um, a majority of my gigging situation before I moved off to college was mm-hmm. playing local gigs with Grant there. And then uh, I moved to Boston um, in 2008 to go to college there. And uh, shortly after joined Missy Raines' band, actually. Oh, yeah, cool. Missy Raines and the New Hip, which yeah. I did for a couple of years. Did you record and, with her uh, on, on any projects? You know, I actually never recorded with Missy. It was sort of in between album projects, but mm-hmm. uh, she was recently nominated for a Grammy for her new record. Yeah, so yeah, exciting I saw that. for That's Missy and company. Great. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, that was a really cool gig to sort of get to cut my teeth on. It was my first sort of full time touring operation that I was ever a part of, and. Um, it was actually, it became quite difficult because I was flying out almost every weekend oh, wow. uh, from Boston and coming down to Nashville and doing the whole weekend warrior thing and trying to keep up with my schoolwork and all that. And it, it just became a little too much. And then uh, not long after that, I joined up with the Deadly Gentlemen, yeah. who were based up in the Boston area. You know, Greg List, Sam Grisman, Stash, Mike Barnett, and uh, we started pounding the pavement and uh, hit the road. And after that, I basically dropped out of college. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Greg. (laughs) But no, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Oh, sure. Uh, I got, I got a solid two years of college in 
and uh, and I hit the road and never looked back. So fingers crossed. Yeah. So <laughs> what um what led you to to Berkeley? Was it just the um the reputation of it? Was that kind of what you always wanted to do? You wanted to go to school for the music, or? Yeah, I, I knew that I wanted to go to school for music, and mm-hmm. Berkeley had such a good reputation among several of my favorite musicians. You know, a lot of the uh, String Dusters guys had gone there and, you know, Casey Dreesen and so many great cats who really spoke highly of it to me. And um, I, w- I guess I was really drawn in particular to the their embrace of the folk music aspect right. and genre, mm-hmm. um, which you can't really find in a lot of other places. And um, so I actually only ended up applying to Berkeley and New England Conservatory. Oh, cool! At the time, and mm-hmm. uh, and I got a slightly better scholarship offer at Berkeley, and, and was already pretty sure I wanted to go there just because it seemed a little more open uh, it, mu- musically and in general than a, a traditional conservatory. Um, and so I ended up going to Berkeley. That's awesome. Now you you. It's very interesting speaking of all these talented people because you came up with a, a quite the group of mandolin players kind of all about the same sort of age range with uh, Jake and Sierra and you and like Sarah Droz. Did you guys kind of all know each other from like the symposiums? That's yeah. We all met at the symposium those first couple years and kind of hit it off. And then it was really pretty awesome to find ourselves all within this, you know, 10 block or so radius living in Boston there. Um, Cause it was sort of like, you know, we met as young kids and then here we are out in the real world, you know, being mandolin players. And so that was a really special couple years having all those folks, you know, Jake and Sarah and Sierra and Eric, and uh, Bryce Milano was living right there in the thick of it, another great young player. And uh, so that was a very inspi- inspiring environment. Yeah, that's great. I think, it, I, think it says, well, I think it says a lot about your musicianship and, and that whole group's musicianship because you know how hard it is to make it in the music business and, um, you know, let alone like being mandolin players, <laughs> you know what I mean? And just the fact that all that group of you just came up and just rose and are just still out there just crushing it, you know? It's that's amazing. Well, thanks, Daniel. It's uh it's an honor to be a part of that community, you know. There's so many good musicians and, and so many good people, you know. At the end of the day I, I love the music, um, but I also love the people and just the supportive nature of this whole acoustic community and that environment is just I'm really thankful to be a part of it because it's it's such good people, and I don't know where I'd be without them. Yeah, and that's why I started this podcast because people like you and I hold that everybody in this in this genre. Totally, it's a very inclusive music, you know, parking lot picking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, how does Missy Rains hear about you um, while you're up in Boston and she's down in Nashville? How did the connection come about? You know, that's a good question, actually. Um, I think we had probably met before just from being at festivals and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, she was looking for somebody to fill that mandolin share. And I don't know, it could have been a recommendation maybe from the the previous mandolin player or someone here in town, but I'm not sure exactly. Mm -hmm. 
how she heard of me, but I was definitely stoked to get that call. That <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I bet. I bet. And then the Deadly Gentleman, that's some great stuff. That, you know, I love about those those uh, couple records is they're fun. And it was so great because all those guys, I, I love them all like brothers, and they're they're all musical giants too. And and so that was a, a really good tutelage for me. I, I was definitely still kind of cutting my teeth at that point and uh, figuring out what it was like to be on the road and all that stuff. And and getting to be in a band with Greg was really cool too. You know, he was a hero of mine um, from all the Crooked Still stuff and. Uh, obviously such a, a giant innovator of the banjo um, and, and to be picked in his band was an honor. Yeah, that's cool, man. And then that's the kind of the big Berkeley connection I'm guessing there is how that band came together. Yeah, let's see. I guess we were all at Berkeley uh, at that time, except for Greg. Mm-hmm. Stash, Mike, Sam and I were all in college there and, uh, and playing all those gigs is uh it was a fun moment in time for yeah. sure you know i meant to ask you we uh, we talked a little bit about mr rains and the deadly gentleman but you you did put out a solo a, a solo cd called signs of courage haha <laughs> that's right you've been doing your research <laughs> i did um, you have a great website <laughs> your website thanks. is yeah man your website is is awesome well, my parents are always on my case about it, making sure that I do. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably have them to thank for that. Oh, nice. So, is that out there to is that out there to purchase though, or is that was that a limited thing? You know, uh, I still have boxes and boxes of them hanging around in my basement, um, and it it's not officially for sale anywhere mm-hmm. online. Yeah. But if you really want a copy, just uh, send me an email or something, and I'll. I'll hook you up, dude. You're d- for sure. You might get a few. You might get a few. Uh, <laughs> you might get a few people wanting to buy them because I'm just looking at the All song right, list, man. And there's so. some uh, some great Golden Eagle Hornpipe, which I love. Swing 42. So, how old were you when you when you put that album out? I was uh, turning 16 that week <sighs> in the studio, and just you know, over the moon to be in there playing with Noam Bikilney. John Stickley, Ross Martin, Gene LeBay, uh, Stuart Duncan did some overdubs. And so that was just uh, an incredible experience for me as a, you know, 16 year old wanting to make a record. Yeah. Definitely very fortunate to get to have that experience. That's awesome. Yeah. John Stickley's great. His name oh, is yeah. com- Total Monster. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. The, that trio he's got is something else. Yeah, I, I just love hearing him do his thing now. He's just totally going for it, and he's such a unique musician. It's it's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. And um, so was he? Was he also from Colorado? Is that kind of? Did you record that in Colorado? Well, you know, yeah, we did. We recorded it at uh, Notably Fine Audio there in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, Stickley's from North Carolina originally, but I guess I met him through the Broke Mountain Bluegrass guys. We met at the uh, Pueblo Bluegrass on the River Festival. <laughs> cool. Um, and I was probably like 12 or 13, and 
just totally idolized all those guys. You know, it was Stickley, Andy Thorne, uh, Travis Book, Anders Beck, and Robin Davis, and they were super cool to me and very inclusive and like, hey, man, come pick with us, you know. And oh, so that nice. totally blew my mind and uh, gave me so much inspiration. So yeah. And and I do want to mention too. You also have um, you played with uh, Russ Carson, who plays with Ricky Skaggs. He's a banjo player. Um, I didn't realize that was you on the album, but there's a, a tune that he always um, has playing when he posts videos on YouTube, and it's great. And I always love the mandolin playing. And then when I was doing some research, I'm like, well, that would make sense. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. That was a super fun session, getting to be in there with Stargell and Marshall Wilburn on the bass and Michael Cleveland. And, uh, yeah, that, that kind of whipped my bluegrass butt into shape there, <laughs> with those guys, that's for sure. Yeah. I got to play a really sweet lore on one of those tracks, too. I can't remember which song it was. But, oh, did you really? Uh, yeah, Tom Minty had a lore there in the studio at the time and, and let me pick on it. And oh, wow. It was just so much fun to play. I bet. Well, we, well, we're talking gear real quick. What is, what is your current, what is your current main mandolin? My current axe is a 1982 Gilchrist. Oh, nice. From Steve Gilchrist out of Australia. Yeah. All you mandolin players know him well. <laughs> um, and I am just so lucky to have that thing. It's It's been my main axe for 11 or 12 years now, ever since I got it from the great David Grisman oh, years ago. Cool. I got to go over to his place and uh, pick one out, and uh, my Whoa. parents matched me dollar for dollar on it. So I was still paying him back for a good many years there but uh that's that's the one for life you know yeah dude so how does how we've got to back up a little bit to how how did that come about <laughs> well uh basically it came about through my friendship with sam grisman dog's mm-hmm. son who's a phenomenal young bass player yeah um and my former bandmate in the deadly gentleman and uh you know we kind of hit it off back in the day i think we first met at rocky grass when we were, we were each like 12 years old and uh we're the same age he is let's see i think he's two days younger than me uh, and uh and we really hit it off at the mandolin symposium because he was there hanging with dog and playing up a storm you know and uh so at that time, we just became fast friends. It was so special to find other young people who were equally as obsessed with the music, you know. And um, and so he introduced me to Dog, and we had already hung out a bunch at that point. You know, I was probably 17 when I got to go over and pick out that mandolin. So we had been friends for years and uh, had me over, and that was just... It doesn't get any cooler than that, man. Going over to the Dog house and just picking on whatever he's he's got a whole room full of instruments in there you know yeah, so. i bet I god bet. talk about inspiration for life you know <laughs> yeah was it hard to, was it was the gilchrist the one that sang right out to you or did you was it a 
a decision that you had to make between one or another? Immediately, I knew that was the one after so cool. one chord. That it was is just so, so cool, clear. dude. It, it called out to me with just such a strong voice. And I think the other ones he had out were, uh, he had a nice Monteleone, mm-hmm. which was really nice, and uh, a Giacomel oh, uh, yeah. from the great Italian maker. But I, I knew I had to have that Gilchrist. And uh, it's, it's really similar, actually, in number two. Ronnie McCurry's Gilchrist, which I, th- I think is only a couple numbers away. And uh, Mike Compton also has one, I believe, from a, the similar era. Oh, no kidding. Early 80s. Yeah, yeah those are a couple couple killer-sounding mandolins there, too. Yeah, I That's love, for sure. I love those Gilchrist. That's great. Yeah, I've never played a bad one. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Um, I, They always blow my mind. <laughs> That's It's amazing, the consistency, too, of just how... Like, they all sound great. You know, you pick it up and you're like, wow, yep, I see why they have the reputation they have. Yeah, and they've just got that deep, woody, bluegrass bark to them, you know, but they can also sound really pretty, too, Mm -hmm. um, which is a special thing to find, you know. Sure. Um, And it's funny, like, it seems like they're all a little bit quirky in a way. Like, they're, they're all different. All the Gilchrists I've ever played, and it seems like, you know, they might have a little buzz here or there, but it, it's so well worth it mm-hmm. for the rest of the sound of the instrument. It's just unbeatable, I think, Yeah, uh, as far as anything being built in the modern era. Yeah, he's got it, that's for sure. Every time I go to Carter's, I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> oh i know i know <laughs> oh boy i need to make some more money <laughs> yeah exactly i need to be a doctor to buy these mandolins i want <laughs> right. yeah it's amazing he really figured it out somehow living all the way down in australia but he figured it out yeah for sure have you ever had a chance to meet him yes actually and it was at the doghouse. Oh, no kidding. Day. I, I think it was after uh, one of those mandolin symposiums. So I guess it would have been before I owned the Gilchrist or even know or knew that I was going to have one. Um, but he was there hanging out after the camp and we were just kind of chilling at dog's house. And, uh, and he's a great mandolin player, too. Oh, no kidding. Um, if, you, if you didn't know, super traditional, loud, sort of Monroe-style mandolin, which makes sense in, in the products that he makes, you know, sort of in that vein as well. Right, right. That's great, man. What do you, uh, what do you string it up with, and what kind of picks and stuff do you use? Man, I've, I've kind of been going back and forth between the Wiegands and the Blue Chips mm-hmm. for the last several years. I, I've been... I guess on a weekend for this last year or so, um, there's things I like about both of them. Um, I find that the weekends are a little mellower in a nice way on a microphone. Um, I find that, you know, the blue chips cut really well. Um, but again, there, there's stuff I love so much about both of them. You know, I, I don't find that the weekend necessarily cuts the same way that a blue chip does like for a, you know, live bluegrass jam or something. I, I find you can maybe get a little more volume out of the blue chips. But uh, again, you know, playing in the studio, that's not necessarily something you have to struggle for because you can get all the tones 
dialed in just how you like. Um, as far as strings, I'm not super picky, but I've been going with the uh, the classic Diodario J74s now for many, many years. Cool. And, uh, that's the, the David Grisman and Ricky Skaggs picks this set. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. And I figure, hey, if it works for those guys, <laughs> it's got to work for me. And, and there's something so uh bluegrassy about the the tone of those and and sort of just real dark and woody that it brings out that I like a whole lot. So what kind of stuff outside of bluegrass did you listen to to kind of develop the style you have because you do I mean obviously you're a great bluegrass player but your stuff, you know, on the Grant Gordy um recording um especially cuz I've listened to that album. I mean uh, it's definitely one of my top 10 listened to albums in in the past few years. Um, you know, you obviously have other influences, and I would love to know, you know, kind of a little bit more about those. For sure. Um, I've been listening to quite a bit of jazz and classical music mm-hmm. in the last, you know, decade or so, and a lot of world music, too. Um, I know that's a funny term, world music, music from planet Earth. <laughs> uh, or I guess in this case, it would mean music not from America. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Um, but a, a lot of you know Brazilian choro stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I've I've been lucky enough to get to play with a Venezuelan cuatro master. Oh, really? Uh, who currently lives in New York? This guy Jorge Glem, who is just an absolute monster. Um, check him out. If- For sure. That was all through the Sam Ryder and the Human Hands band. Sam and Jorge have a collaboration. But uh, I love West African music so much Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of Scandinavian music, Swedish fiddling and the band Vessen um, and and Bjorg Lien, which I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Eastern European Balkan music. I kind of love it all, right. uh, which is sort of a blessing and a curse. Cause <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm only getting uh, paper thin into all of them. But sure. I've kind of just accepted that that's the way it is. And uh, so my method these days is to just keep pouring everything into the blender. And, uh, and that's just... Uh, who I am as a musician, for yeah. better or worse. No, that's great, man, it, and and it's it's cool to hear that too. Uh, so, how do you approach? Because I feel there's a lot of people in that same sort of boat where it's just like you sit down to practice and you can get overwhelmed, be like, "Well, should I work on jazz? Should I work on bluegrass? I've only got so much time today." You know, how do you approach sitting down when you when you have time to to work on your craft? What is what is your kind of process? Well, you know, that, that's something I feel quite often and is like, well, you know, I only have this hour or so and there's, I love all this stuff and uh, the time is limited. How do I know what to, to choose to practice? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've never been a super regimented practicer for whatever reason. Um, I find that every day is different mm-hmm. and I kind of just go with whatever I'm feeling on that particular day, you know, some days might be more creative, which are better for, you know, improv and composing and that sort of thing. But then, uh, other days you might feel like, 
putting your nose to the grindstone a little more and getting back to basics and doing, you know, metronome work or scales mm-hmm. or arpeggios, basic uh, stuff that I, I find it's almost like flossing or something. <laughs> you got to do it, you know. Um, and it'll only inform the creative practice once you do that sort of left-brained stuff. And yeah. when you go to write or improvise, it'll all come out. Do you have like a particular uh, scale thing that just kind of falls under your fingers right away when you when you pick it up? Not really. I mean, I probably immediately go to like bluegrass G territory, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Monroe style. Um, but as far as practice stuff, I'm actually still going back a lot these days to my old Berkeley notes because I, I saved all that stuff. And, you know, I was there for two years and of course there was a ton of stuff that I never got to, uh-huh. uh, with all the touring I was doing at the time. And so right. I saved all those notes and lessons from my, you know, world percussion class. And I did a <laughs> cool Indian rhythmic solfege class and the music of Miles Davis and so much great stuff. Wow. And so, uh, so a lot of times I'll just, you know, flip open that folder and say, Oh, here's a, Kirby Hancock solo. That would be great today, you know? No, cool, yeah. Um, stuff like that. And I have a, an eternal list in my iTunes of mm-hmm. uh, songs to learn, tunes and songs and solos to transcribe. Yeah. Uh, that's probably getting up to, I don't know, 400 songs <laughs> or something at yeah. this point. So it's like, it's really daunting in a way because it's like, wow, I might never get to all this stuff in my entire lifetime. Right. So it's like a little scary, but at the same time, it's like, if you can't think of something to practice, just put that thing on shuffle and, you know, yeah. pick one that feels good and, and just go to town. Um, these days when I'm not working up stuff for a gig, which is actually most of my practice time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working on the, D minor gig from Bach solo violin sonatas and partitas. And you can hear a great version of that from the, uh, Chris Dealey, Mike Marshall live duets album. Yes. uh, Where Mike wrote a really cool counter line on the Mando cello. And, uh, I learned the a part of it years ago, uh, classic bluegrass talk, the a part, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then just like a, a couple of weeks ago, I was I was thinking about it. It's like, man, I never learned the B part on that one. So I've been going back and uh, and getting that one together, which has been a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, I bet. When um, I interviewed Mike for this podcast, and it was great because he was like, oh, yeah, we we did the uh, worked out. I just picked out the music. You know, I just learned it. It's right there. Anybody can do it. I'm like, well, hey, not anybody can do it. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> anybody can do it. <laughs> Oh man, what a great guy he is! And he sure is. Man. Yeah, have you have you uh, had much? Have you you did a project with him too, right? Or um, well, it... yeah, he he put together a little thing called the Young American Mandolin Ensemble. Yeah, and we got to go perform at a mandolin festival in France. Oh, uh, cool. years back, I think it was two thousand seven, and. That was uh, Jared and Corey Walker, mm-hmm. Serge Rose, Jake Jolliffe, Alex Hargrave, Sam Grisman. Uh, and I think, yeah, that was the crew. And we got to go spend a week with Mike 
in France. Wow. You know, as a bunch of teenagers, like, what <laughs> could be cooler than that? <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. What type of uh, What type of stuff did you guys play on that? Man, there was a pretty good mix of different things. You know, Sarah was bringing sort of an old-timey song element and, and playing some banjo and guitar, I think, in those days. And we had a strong bluegrass element from the Walker Brothers, obviously, mm-hmm. being from North Florida. Um, then Alex was bringing his whole jazz influence, you know. Right. Um, and, yeah, it, it seemed like there was a pretty wide variety of stuff we were doing some original tunes from a few of us and mm. uh yeah that was really cool yeah i can't imagine that's great wow what a powerful lineup of people <laughs> yeah we, we should uh get together and do a, re- a reunion tour yeah one no of these kidding years. that'd be fun oh my gosh yeah i'm sure you guys could find a few pretty sweet venues to do that in as well if you um if you're to play a bluegrass tune in a jazz tune right now, what what would you uh, what would you go to? Man, well, as soon as you said that, for whatever reason, the mm-hmm. uh, the Frank Wakefield classic, the New Camptown Races, came to mind. Cool, great bluegrass number. I, I love that one. Great because it moves around a little bit, um, and it's in B flat, which is always fun. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the jazz tune, I wish that I knew more of them. It's you know I have. Mm-hmm hundreds of them probably in my iTunes playlist that I haven't gotten to. But uh, one of my all-time favorites is Smile, um, which was actually written by Charlie Chaplin. And so I guess some people might not know it as a jazz tune, but it could certainly qualify based on the melody and and the harmony in there. And uh, that's a really fun, beautiful one to play. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure I could still use more practice on, that's for sure. Dude, that's the best part. That's why all these people that I talk to on this podcast, people like you and people like Mike and um, like John Reichman, you know, everybody's got something they're looking at working on. You know, there's always something. Makes me want to go back and uh, listen to all the archives here, man. Oh, sweet. You should, dude. Yeah, when John Reichman tells you he's got to work on his pinky, you know, you're like, wow, John Reichman's thinking about working on his pinky more. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And that's why he's amazing. Still thinks about it. Exactly. Exactly. Which is great. Totally. It's encouraging. You know, we're all continuing to work and practice and grow. The great Sonny Rollins still practices every day. Right. Exactly. That's what it's about, man. So if you had 10 minutes a day to pick up your mandolin, this is one of the questions I always ask on this podcast. What is something that you would work on to help you become a little bit better? Well, if it was just 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. um, I would probably throw on a metronome and just play free around it Mm -hmm. Um, just to kind of get warmed up and see where my fingers want to go. And you got that metronome on, so there's a a rhythmic integrity at play, Um, but sort of just practicing the solo improvisation thing, um, I'd like to get a lot better at you know, playing solo in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like that would be a good thing to do in 10 minutes is just to kind of play free like that. Sure. Um, and other than that, I, I'm still uh, working on that D minor G. That's <laughs> yeah. for sure. I would probably go through that one because there's definitely some, some fingering moves in there that are always a little tricky and 
keep you on your toes. Right. What is um? Do you do you have any uh, things? You have a really great right hand technique. It's very um on the on the videos I've seen, but you know on YouTube you have a very um uh, your economy of motion is great. And mm. you know I think do you have something that you've like worked on to develop that? Because it's I, I really it really is cool. It's great sound, and um you know I'd love to pick your brain about that a little bit even. Sure. Well, well, thanks. Yeah, um, absolutely. It, it's something that, you know, you, you probably know as a mandolin player, we're always thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Um, especially right hand pick technique, you know, and for the longest time I was sort of obsessed with the Sealy pick technique school and, and a, a definite disciple, um, of that method. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a long time, I felt like it was almost hindering me in a way because I was just trying to do it exactly like somebody else did it. Sure. And I realized that, man, like, you know, there's a way that my hands naturally fall and I can make great music if I play like I play. Um, perhaps even better music than when I'm trying to play the way somebody else plays. Nice. And so yeah. I think, you know, all those hours and years of, thinking about that and drilling all that stuff um, is invaluable. I wouldn't trade it for a thing, but I think uh, for me, the journey has been a combination of that nose to the grindstone work of obsessing about those details. And then Mm -hmm. also forgetting about it completely and playing the way I play and just seeing what comes naturally. Um, And I even heard him say one time, like, man, we all have different hands different ligaments and joints and bones and all that. And so you have to take that into consideration and um, maybe not get too obsessed uh, with holding your pick exactly like somebody else does. (laughs) But then also realizing that there's so much good to be gained out of those teachings at the same time. So I think uh, just taking them with a grain of salt. And at the end of the day, you just got to put in the time and, if you're doing that, you'll figure out a way to play. Right. That's awesome. That's encur- Those are some encouraging words right there. And so true, especially now in today's world where everybody wants that instant gratification. Right. Yep. That, that's the thing I, I want to say to a lot of mandolin students sometimes. It's like there's no trick or secret behind it that's going to, like, you know, unlock the door overnight. Right. It's like I just I just want to say play more, practice more, you know. Um and man and there's nothing so, better than that connection of when you hit that thing you're working on when it just, you know, be it at a live gig where something you'd been working on for weeks just pops out and you're playing or you're transcribing a tune you're like, "Oh, I got it." <laughs> yeah, that's the greatest totally. feeling, man. It really is. And sometimes the the payoff can be really slow and you almost uh, don't notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's there somewhere. It, it is sinking in, um, believe it or not, even though sometimes it can be tough to really see the progress in a quantifiable way. <laughs> right. um, you just got to keep going through the process and, and believing that you're getting somewhere. You yeah, know? Absolutely. And then the final question uh, is, 
about beer. <laughs> so, well, this is the mandolins and beer podcast. Exactly, exactly. So, do you have a uh, do you have a beer or two that you've been enjoying? You live in a pretty great town for some beers, that's for sure. That's true. Um, these days, I've been pretty into the uh, the bearded iris mm-hmm. brews here in Nashville. Yeah. It's a local brewery, and uh, they have a really nice pilsner called the Pep Talk um, that is made with some really nice hops. And so it, it almost brings out some of the tastier notes that you might find in an IPA, Oh wow! Uh, but it's in a Pilsner. So it's, it's not quite as alcoholic and like doesn't uh, weigh you down. <laughs> right, right. Those heavy IPAs as much as I love them. Man. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I'm going to be there uh, in just a few weeks actually. So I'll have a little bit of a little free time to uh, check out some breweries for sure. So yeah, check out bearded Iris and uh, Smith and Lens. There's another great brewery here in town. Um, oh, cool. Buddies with the owner, this uh, really sweet dude, Adler. And then uh, one that's a little more well-known is the uh, Yazoo Brewery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Town, which uh, they make great stuff as well. Yeah, they do. And I also love Jackalope because it's right by Carter's. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got to check them out. Oh, man. Dude, they're really, they're excellent. You'll love them. And it's uh, and it's right by definitely Carver. no shortage, yeah, no shortage of great years around here. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, Dominic, thank you so much for doing the podcast, man. I appreciate it. you're such a busy guy, and that you took the time out to do it is it really means a lot. So, thank you so much. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. All right, thank you so much, Dominic, for doing that. Much appreciated. Thanks to the Mandolin Cafe, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. Be sure to go back to Sound Slice. Use Mandolin Beer as the code. That should be working properly now. And as promised at the beginning of the podcast, here is the newest single from Dominic's band, Hawktail, and it is called Dandelion. Have a happy holiday. I will have some sort of podcast coming out on Christmas Day, and I will see you all real soon. Cheers, everybody.